0: I've enjoyed preaching it so much. It's been wonderful. And if you would turn your Bible today to Romans chapter 7. And as you turn this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many of you would like to have some more self-control in your life? Anyone say, yeah, that would sound really good, right? Like, it would be awesome to have that, wouldn't it? There's so many things in life where we say, man, if I only had this, it'd be better. And so that's one of those areas. And so uh, a woman years back, was a part of a of a diet club and she was trying to eat right and lose some weight and such. And she was doing pretty good and she'd report to her club every week and always have a great report until one week she didn't. And she shows up to a diet club and she's pretty frustrated and so her people or her peers were like, well, what's wrong? And she says, man, I, I, I fell off the wagon this week. I, I did terrible. And they said, well, what happened? They said, well, my, my family wanted this cake that I make, and it's really good. We all love it. So they wanted this cake, and so I made it for them. And she said, so we, we ate about half the cake, and we put it away, and we agreed that we would eat the rest the next day. Now, she said, but I didn't have any. So I did good. So they were like, well, that's, that's good. Good job. So she said, well, the next day, I, I got up, and the cake looked so good, right? I didn't have it the day before, so I thought, well, you know what? A, a little bit isn't going to hurt anything. And so she said, I took a little slice, just about a half a slice, and I ate it. She said, oh, it was so good. And so I thought, well, you know what? Again, I didn't have any cake. I can cheat in my diet a little bit. So she said, I'm going to finish the slice off, and I'm going to eat another slice. And so she ate another small slice. Well, one thing led to another, and the cake was all gone. Within a few moments, she's like, I don't know what happened. She's like, it was gone. And, and so she's like, I, I, I messed up. And her, her peers are like, oh, it's okay when this happens and, and such. And then one person said, hey, she said, how about your, your family? What, what did they think? And she said, oh, they didn't know because I made another cake, and ate half of that one too. And so, yeah, that's, that's a tough thing, right? You know, it's, it's self-control, isn't it? Wouldn't it be nice, right? Wouldn't it be nice? It's, it's as simple as saying no to another piece of cake, right? As simple as turning off Netflix and for another hour. It's simple uh, as doing those. Sometimes it's far more difficult, Right? It could be uh, saying no to, uh, to things that, that take away from our sexual purity. It could be uh, saying no and keeping our sobriety or whatever it might be. It could be spending time with God in his, in, in his presence daily. It comes down to self-control. And you know, a lot of believers are walking around this world saying, if I only had more self-control, my life with Jesus would be better. Right? And so many people live under this kind of feeling and they keep coming back to this reality that I'm just not that self-controlled. See, that's why Romans 7 is such a wonderful gift. Again, if you've been with us, you know we've been talking about the, the theme here has been a rules-based approach to godliness will fail every time. A rules-based approach to godliness will fail fail every time. We we talked last week or two weeks ago about about Romans chapter 7 verse 8. It it shows us how when we are basing our godliness on rules, what happens is that the enemy comes in and the enemy sets up a base camp at the base of God's good law and twists it and makes it something it never was intended to be. And it begins to bring death where God meant to bring life. Right? That's how this works. And it's as old as Genesis chapter 3, when, 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 when God told Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree, and they, and enemy said, well, did God really say if you ate that, you would die? I mean, God didn't really mean that. So then all of a sudden, in that moment, uh, Adam and Eve say, well, I wonder what it tastes like. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming they did. What it tastes like. I wonder how it would be if I actually did do this thing. See, that's how this works, doesn't it? And, and again, the enemy takes what God meant for good twists it, and turns it, and turns it into something else that never should have been. That's kind of reviewed to this point. So a lot of us might say, well, what am I supposed to do? How do you live a godly life, man? If I don't have rules, or whatever, what am I supposed to do? Well, I've been working through this idea as well. Because, Pastor, if you haven't noticed, I know what I'm supposed to do, but what I'm supposed to do and what I do do are two very different things. Let's read today, let's dive in, uh, Romans 7 verse 15. It says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now this passage is probably pretty familiar to lots of us, and, and possibly you've been comforted by this passage at some point in your life as well. And the truth today is this, is potentially, if you have been, you've been comforted in an absolutely wrong way. You're like, whoa, did he just say that? Yes, I did. Now, listen to what, what this walks through. This, this this last half of Romans 7 is seen in two different ways in theological circles. The first way, and people see this, is this is Paul being real about his struggle with sin. That's probably the most common way people see this they say, well Paul uh, Paul was, was wrote half the New Testament, but Paul struggled with sin and they, they've seen this as being a very comforting passage that's the first way. the second way is this is Paul talking about what life would be like and he's using a literary uh, term for inserting himself as first person into the situation to show us what it would be like for someone who is taking on a rules-based approach to godliness. Now, I will tell you today that I am firmly in group number two. And the reason why I'm that way today, I'm going to walk through and explain this this morning, but there is just no way this can be Paul saying, I have struggled like this, and I cannot make it. I have no victory. It can't be that way. Because what Paul wrote throughout the rest of the scriptures, listen as we continue to walk through this, this idea. Listen to verse 14. It says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, and I am sold under sin. Now, as a Christian, are you really sold under sin? See, that's the big question we have to ask ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 60, or 6, verse 19 says, You are not your own. You are bought with the price. There is no question, believer, you are sold. But you are not sold to sin. You are sold. You are bought by the blood of Jesus by way of the cross. You are bought by him, and you are made and created in a new image. When you come to Jesus, you are different this morning. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. You are sold. You are bought, sold, and paid for, but it is not sold to sin. You see, Paul in chapter 6 and 7 leads up to this point to show us how this is not how it works in the life of a believer. So there Paul is schizo, he's trying to prove a point this morning. Verse 16, for I do not do what I want. I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Really? Who dwells within you? Is it sin or Something else, I just will leave that there this morning. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Well, that's true this morning. But can this the same guy that wrote Philippians 4.13, where he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Well, except for sin. I can't do that one. I, I can't have victory over sin. I can do anything else except do what God has promised me that I can do throughout scriptures. You see, church, this morning, this is a passage that many of us have cozied up to. We've cozied up in the wrong light. Listen to what verse 21 says, where Paul establishes a principle. He says in verse 21, So I find to be a law that when I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. Now, all of us have experienced this, right? Like, we've all wanted to do something good, and then when you want to, the worst thing is right there. This is not just for Christians, it's not just for believers, this is for every person who walks this planet, because every person who walks this planet can, could know Jesus Christ, right? This is a spiritual principle. That when I want to do the right thing, and I want, I get up and say, I'm going to eat right today, and I drive down 25, I see a sign on Dairy Queen that says, half off blizzards today only. And I say, that's right. Come on now, enemy. No, that's how it works, doesn't it? This is a spiritual principle. You see, this morning, many people have taken refuge... What Paul writes here in Romans 7, says, see, if Paul can't do it, how can I do it? If Paul can't beat sin, then how could I beat sin? If Paul can't do this, then it's not possible. We have put this on like a warm, comfy blanket this morning. We said, once a sinner, always a sinner. And my only hope is that someday when I get to heaven, then and only then will I be free from sin. Well, is that what God has really called us to do? You see, sin still dominates people like that. So are we to accept that's how it should be? Listen today, church. Some of us have left the door open to sin in our lives. We've left the door open to the enemy ransacking our lives and bringing death where God meant there to be life because we have have let the door open and said, well, see, if Paul can't do it, then no one can do it. But the truth this morning is this, is that God has bought and paid for your victory on the cross once and for all. You no longer have to live under the power, under the addiction, under the power of sin. You don't live under that anymore. Jesus paid the price. Come on, someone this morning. That's pretty good stuff today. See, we've left that door open. and We've comforted ourselves and said, oh, someday I'll have this. No. See, verse 24 says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And many people stop there, right? Many people just stop there. If you do, wow, tough life. See, many have. They're mopey-faced and they're joyless. They are spiritual weaklings. They profess a faith, but they don't have the power of faith that backs it up. They are living two lives. They are one thing in public, and they are one thing in private. They are one thing to people say, I love Jesus, he's good, but in private, they're one totally different thing. There's no power, there's no sense of victory. And frankly, they're not the kind of people that anyone wants to be around. And they have used this passage as their warm, comfy blanket. I will tell you today, church, the Holy Spirit is pulling that blanket off of your back and saying, it's time to come out and to be different this morning. You see, Romans 7 is not comfort to the life of a struggling believer. It's Paul painting a picture of what life is like for someone who is trying to live for Christ under a rules-based Christianity. It does not work. There's two things Paul's showing us here about that here. And the first one is that we cannot depend on our own will to do what's right period you might think some people think well someday i can if i get good if i do the right thing if i put myself in the right spot someday i'll be strong enough to resist sin the truth is is no you will never be strong enough to on your own do what's right it's just not possible if it seems to be working, like you're like, actually, I'm pretty good, pastor. I'm pretty good. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't run around with girls that do, right? Like, I'm pretty awesome. So if you think that way, I will promise you this, is that you are falling victim to a few other sins like pride and arrogance and bitterness and comparison, and then you'll fall, right? See, that's not how it works. It never has been. But if the enemy has taken a truth from God's word and twisted it, and made us to believe a lie. See, we cannot depend the power of our will. Under the power of the will only, verse 14 teaches, you will be, you will be enslaved to sin. Under the power of the will only, you will, be, you will not understand spiritual truth. Under the power of the will only, and verse 17, you, you need a spiritual power greater than the power of sin can't do it, you can't do it by yourself. Number two, you can love God's law, but the law of sin will still defeat you. You can love God's law, and many people do. Verse 22 here says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. See, that's why this is so comforting, because we get it. We're like, yeah, I want to do what's right, but I just can't. See, that's the, that's the, the, the trickiest thing here you can love God's law. You can want to do what God's told you to. You can say, God, I just want to do what's right. God, why can't I ever do the right thing? You can say that and yet find yourself still under the power of sin. You see, You see, you have to see sin is not just what you do. It's literally a force of evil. It permeates things. It goes places it's not invited. It shows up and it drives us downward. It inflames passions, right? It passion for, di- for ice cream. And, you know, no, that's, not, that's the joke there. But it, it brings to death things that once had life. It works against what's good and it twists it and makes it into something that it's just not. Now, how do I know? Well, there's a lot of believers who profess Jesus But yet live this victorious, victorious less life. That's, That's not the call God's placed on us, church. And you don't have to travel far to find it. Just look inside of yourself, right? Unless you're a believer, right? What does the Bible teach us about Christians? When you come to Christ, you are not your own. You are above the price. Jesus takes up residence inside you through the Holy Spirit. You see, you have power that living inside of you, that God's given you to turn your life around this morning. You say, I can. I want to do the right thing. I don't want to stupid things. But the power of sin defeats me every time. Well, church... Thanks for the hope, preacher. I came to church for some hope today. Well, I'm not getting it. You mean I, I, this is impossible. I'm saying, yes, it is. But the truth, the good news, is actually better than you thought it would be this morning. Let's listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. He says something so profound, so amazing, so freedom-giving, that it's almost too good to be true. Listen, as Jesus is tested by Pharisees and Sadducees, listen to what happens Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, typical, no, i was kidding, a, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. I'm totally kidding. Uh, I love the Lord. My uncle's one. He's a great guy. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Now, notice this guy tries to strip Jesus up with the law, right, like, This is no new thing here, and Jesus said to him, listen, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your minds. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, he says, you shall love the Lord, love the neighbor as yourself. Now, oftentimes we stop there on this passage, right, that's oftentimes the only thing we focus on here, but Jesus doesn't. See, he continues, and I would argue that the next part of this is the most important part of this whole thought process. When he says in verse 40, he says, on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Now again, you hear in culture taught oftentimes, if you just learn to love people, just learn to love Christians, that's all that matters, right? People who literally have no idea who Jesus is, say, Jesus said just love, and that's all you got to do, just love, love, love. You know, you got to love people's weirdness. You know, if they have some weird idea, you got to love that. You got to embrace that. You got to embrace that as their truth, right? They are living their truth, which is, I will say, pause, is the biggest lie that we are seeing in our culture today. You don't just live your truth, right? Like, you don't have your truth. There's Truth or there isn't truth. You can hate that, you cannot hate it, but that's just the truth, okay? And so people don't just live their truth. And culture says you have to accept that and embrace that. If you don't accept and embrace that, well, then you are wrong. You are in error, and, and that will not be tolerated, and so we hate you, right? You can't say things that are not like what everybody else says. That's, that's what, as Second as Corinthians 4 says, that is the God of this age, small g God of this age, that is blinding their minds. God has called us to have renewed minds, to think differently. See, church this morning, we all can flip this on its backside as well, because on the flip side, law-driven Christians can rail against others and say all kinds of law-driven things about if you want to be right, you have to do this, 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 and this, right? Like, if you want to be happy, if you want to Joyful, if you want God in your life, you have to do all of these things, and then God will love you. And church, that is also a lie. That's not the call of discipleship. That's not the call of how this thing works. You see, church, God's called us to think differently about our lives. You see, our hope is different. Our hope is not in what we do. Our hope is in whose we are. That's where our hope is. Our hope's not in going back to a previous time. Our hope's not in doing something different, and then everything's okay. There's a song that's been kind of going through my heart for the last few weeks, and of course, many of us know this. It's my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I want to focus today on the word depend here in this passage because it's an important word. The word depend in Greek in verse 40 is the word kremenani. And that's a hard word to say, but it's got a really important meaning. The word's literal meaning, it's used like this every time in Scripture. The word's meaning is hang or suspend. Now here with me on stage today, I have a closet. Uh, well, imagine it is, because I couldn't get the whole closet up here, but let's just picture this as being a closet today. And, and how many of you have ever tried to hang clothes in a closet that had a faulty uh, uh, um, uh, closet rod? You've done that before? Yeah, some of us maybe have or, or not had, but I have before. Actually, uh, when my wife and I were first moving into our house in Kalamazoo, it was an older house. Uh, it was not well taken care of for a long time. And so I rem- we had two bed two closets in our bedroom, uh, a, a big one and a small one. Which one did I get? You'll figure that out. But, uh, so we're putting our clothes away, and I get all my clothes in this closet rod and close the door, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, we hear this big crash. And it's like woke us, both. we're like, what happened? And so we open the door, and all my clothes are on the ground. See, I had, I had put my clothes on a faulty closet rod. And see, I didn't know it was faulty. I didn't know it was bad. It looked like it was just fine. It looked like it was connected. But I put them on that. You see, Jesus is teaching us that lesson here in this passage. You see, I want to preface this today with this. Many have hung our godliness on a faulty hook of rules-based Christianity. And when it falls, as it will, when it falls, we felt the sting of defeat and never actually tasted the victory God promises to his children how do I know? Well, I have the word. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, but I say, walk in the spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Can I have victory? Yes. How do I know? It's right there. Walk in the spirit, and you will not. Not, well, maybe you won't, or oh, if you just really try hard. No, walk in the spirit, you will not. Gratify the the, the things of the flesh. But desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, and they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So Paul here says your entire problem with not having victory comes down to this. He says that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, visions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, it warns before, that, these, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As the band comes forward this morning, began to lead us in worship today. Uh, this list is a fascinating list because many of these things, we have— my, 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 my rod is faulty. Uh, we have, on many of these things, we have victory, don't we? A lot of us like, I would never, I mean, orgies and whatever. No, that's not new, no, no. I would never do those things. But yet there's things here in this list that are just every bit as problem, problem, problematic, and they're there, and they're pretty hard for us to beat sometimes. Impurity. Idolatry. There's there's enmity, which of course is just enmity, is simply meaning meaning to be hostile. I know a few church committees, not our church, but other churches, uh, could learn that one. Uh, how do you how do you master envy alone? How do you master it when your neighbor has a brand new truck and you have an old jalopy? How do you master it? The the feeling you get when you say, "I, I know I'm supposed to do it here. I, I know I'm not supposed to be jealous, but." I mean, look at that thing, it's beautiful. And how, look at my truck. How do you master that by yourself? You see, the problem is, is that every time that comes, that's a potential for sin. You see, God's called you to turn and be different. So this passage here tells us that these things are the birthplace of sin. How do you master them? Well, it, could, it, it shows us here, if you continue, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Man, if I, had, if I had peace in my life, when I go through a storm, I wouldn't be full of storm, I would be full of peace. God, I wish I had peace in my life. If I had more love, maybe I wouldn't want to punch somebody in, in, the, in the nose, and that brings sin, right? Like you shouldn't punch someone in the nose, it's bad. And if I had love or if I had peace, maybe I wouldn't be tempted to do that, right? That'd be a good thing. You know, if I had uh, just, you know, one of these things is is meekness, which meekness means uh, simply is is this coming under, this idea of coming under something. It's the idea of of bowing your knees and bowing your heart. I will tell you that to be a follower of Christ, you will have to learn how to be meek. Now, how does a type A person who never thinks meekness, how do you do this? I'm a fellow sufferer, by the way. How do you do these things? You know, how, how, do you, how do you walk in, in love? How do you walk? In? See, we have all these things we know that we need in our lives. Just, and see, this is how it is. We're law-driven Christians. When, God, when we see this, we say, well, I, I should be more loving. We say, God, I want to be more loving. What do I have to do to be more loving? right or the first one self-control I am not self-controlled what happens so often we say I'm not self-controlled I gotta be more self-controlled and we focus and we work and we effort and we try we pray and our prayers are saying God they're all related on how we are failures and how we're wrong and how we've messed up and how we'll never seem to get this God, if I can only be self-controlled, oh, God, help me. We hang our lives on a faulty rod. And God's never called us to walk like that, church. Would you stand across this room this morning? I know I've gone over some today, but, man, this is important this morning. See, our our sinful nature reveals we need these things. That's the law. The law says you need to be more loving. You You need this. And every other part of life says if you need something, put your mind to it, try hard, work at it, then you'll get it. Except for godliness. It's not how it works. See, when Jesus says all these things hang on this, there's a common word there in that passage. And the common word is what? It's love, isn't it? That's what God's called us to. And I will tell you this morning, church, that if you will will look at this in your life and say, "God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong," that that you need to do that. But if your reaction to those those problems are anything but coming to Jesus and loving on Him and allowing Him to minister in your life, and from that relationship comes fruit, as this is described fruit. The tree does not make fruit happen. The tree does not force fruit to happen. The the fruit grows on the tree because it is a fruit tree. Church, you have been made and created to produce fruit. That's what the word says. You don't work hard to do it. You put yourself in the presence of Jesus. And you hang your life not on your efforts, but you hang your life on your love for God and your love for others. But I want to give what I think could potentially be the most helpful part of today. And I'm going to get very real and honest. And I won't take long, I promise, this morning. But God has been working through me, uh, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, for quite some time now. And so I've been walking through this in my life for a while. I will tell you what used to happen is that when I came up against sin, I would get so caught up in that sin that I got so caught up in not doing it that I continued to do it. I continue to fall and continue to mess up. You see, church, this morning, if you can learn how to turn your mind and your heart away from just the sin and the problems and the garbage and turn it on to Jesus and on to the Word, that's where this begins. You see, if you are struggling in some area that was named in Galatians chapter 5, you have been conditioned to think, if you can't beat sin, you just continue to work in it and you continue to try, you continue to put effort towards and you continue continue to fail. But the word says that your way out of that is to the fruit of the Spirit. You see, your way out of those things is not to try harder. Your way out is not to say, I'm going to be better. No. Your way out is to be with Jesus. Your love relationship with him. Your time in his presence. Like, pastor, it can't be that easy. Yes, it is. It can't be I've been told all my life i got to work and try and effort. Well, you know what? You've been told wrong. I'm just being honest with you. The Word teaches us that it is in Christ that we are changed. It is in His presence that we are changed. You see, as God's been working this in my life, those things that were so easily entangling me for so long had begun to melt away and had begun to walk away. And I haven't tried hard enough. It just happens. Because that's what God's call for us is. He's not called you to be a better person. He's called you. He knows you're not. He's called you to be in his presence, to love him, to love him. These words in this song have been so good this is why i can't stop singing this song because when i'm struggling my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and his righteousness i dare not trust the sweetest frame but hold trust in jesus name pastor it can't be that easy it is when you struggle Stop looking at the struggle and start looking to Jesus. When you're you're walking through sin, when you're walking through depression or frustration or anxiety, get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of the causes of the enemy that come to try to twist God's word a little bit and put it on God's words, right? Right? Put it there. Put your trust upon His name and who He is and love on Him. Sometimes what you need to do is you need to say, God, I just love you. And Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, I love you. My heart is yours. Jesus, I'm yours. And Lord Jesus, I'm different. I'm bought with a price. I'm not the one I was before. Church, get your mind out of the gutter and get your mind on Jesus, who is the rod of our salvation. Come on, someone, this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. That's it. We love you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what that means. That when you saved us, you saved us. You don't have to do anything else. You just saved us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You saved us you delivered us and you healed us jesus make us what you want us to be i pray this church will be full of people who lord are being transformed into the image of christ well this church would be full of people lord who god we sometimes do things like our old man says but that's not us anymore lord where Paul says these things this is our comfort lord is not and we'll just never be able to gain victory our comfort is the fact that you bought us our victory jesus lord you bought and paid for it lord jesus we don't have to live under that anymore Jesus, I pray each person here would come to that fresh realization in Jesus' mighty name. And this would be a church of people, Lord, who are not perfect, but who have been set free and delivered and are new people because of what you have done. If you're with me, say amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, seal it. Work it in us, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.